0: pandemic got us into a reflective space and made us look inward to see what we can do for the world at large as a self-expression coach I became a catalyst for women and started Vani a one-on-one coaching program for women on finding their voice to speak up to be visible as a storyteller, I spotted that there were many ordinary people amongst us leading extraordinary lives making a difference to the world and they needed to be heard. Thus was born You and I with Rashmi Shetty, where amazing personal journeys with their uniqueness and individuality are showcased, a reaffirmation of the fact that Open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Our guest today is Srimati Tara Kinney who has trained intensively in Hindustani classical music from the late Sri Narayan Rao Padwardhan, Srimati Meera Deshpande, and the late Pandit Ramarao Vinayak. She is currently learning from Vidushi Lalit Chee Rao and from Padma Shri Pundecha Brothers. Nara is the founder director of a music collective called Sunad that has presented over 90 shows that demystify classical music and inspired by Padma Bhushan Sri M, Sunat has presented several shows of four major Upanishads weaving together Drupad, dance, yoga, and storytelling. Tara has conceptualized and directed all these shows. Tara Kinney is an independent consultant in education and music and works with several reputed institutions in Bangalore, Andhra Pradesh, Delhi and Ahmedabad, developing curriculum and training teachers and trainers. Tara is an advisor to the Shankar Mahadevan Music Academy. Tara has received the Senior Research Fellowship from the Sangeet Matak Academy 2017. Listen in as Tara Kinney shares her amazing journey with music, theatre and the beautiful blend of the two. Hi Tara, it's such an honor for me to have you on You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Your journey has been fantastic and music plays such an important role in your life. But from the time I've met you, I've noticed one thing, you spread joy wherever you go and the moment people see you, they start smiling. Were you always like this? What was Tara as a little girl?
1: good question rashmi but i want to bounce this question back to you in a sense because i feel that you have the most enigmatic uh, enchanting smile and everybody in your company starts smiling too so maybe we are uh, <laughs> in a mutual admiration mutual know? admiration society as far as smiles go as a child what was i i remember You know, being extremely fond of people, which I am to this day, you know, I just love having people around me. I just love all the people. I would love the people who came and stayed with us in Delhi. And because we were in Delhi and all our relatives were in the south of India, uh, you know, one by one, they would uh, traipse upward, northward to go and see Taj Mahal and the rest of it. And of course, our house became the kind of central point. And therefore, we always had many people coming and going. And I just loved it. I just loved it. Um, I would very often trips with them. So I must have gone to Agra and uh, um, Taj Mahal and Fatehpur Sikri. God knows how many times in my life. I I just loved having people. That's how I grew up. I also had a number of very, very close friends, you know. um, some in the colony where we lived you know how it is in Delhi you have the government colonies and you have a central lawn where everybody meets every evening to play uh, we used to play badminton and um, you know so I had that group of friends and during the summer holidays we'd all go for long walks ending with breakfast at somebody's house I mean that was the highlight you know so in those days um there was never any worry about us going off on our own. So I I remember from when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, we just did things on our own. We went off together uh, on these long walks. We went into some uh, parents' house for uh, a breakfast. Maybe our parents didn't know where we were going, but they were very, very chilled about it. You know, they they never were anxious and, because they all knew it was all within the colony and and it was so so safe. And I I really wish we could have that for our children and grandchildren too. I think we had to be much more careful with our own children. So I had a really lovely life. School was just three kilometers away, uh, Carmel Convent School. It was near the embassies, very beautifully uh, located. And for me, school was one long theater production. You know, we just did, we took every occasion possible to set up a play. So if there was, you know, I was in a convent school, Carmel Convent, and therefore whenever the mother superior came from Mangalore, from the main branch, we would be called upon to do a play. And so, you know, as we in my, by the time I was 10, 11, 12, I had this very great gang of friends, uh, some of who are now, you know, Abha Sood, she was at that time, she's Abha Adam now. And she's a very well-known theater personality. And she went into theater very seriously. And we were constantly doing plays. And one of one of my very dear friends was also a very good dancer, so we'd combine it as a full um, you know lay out a full spread of entertainment from dances to songs to theater and we just you know it was just uh, most exciting and I hardly remember sitting in the classroom to be honest with you. <laughs> We were always off on um, rehearsals and um, staying after school was very exciting for rehearsals. So that's how I grew up.
0: When did hardcore Hindustani music enter your life then? If this was your childhood, when did Hindustani classical music enter your life?
1: Okay, so my parents were always very deeply interested in music and... um, I remember I was six years old when my mother started teaching me Carnatic music, you know, because that was her training. And so she's, she taught me the Sarle varshe, varshe, all that. And she also taught me the basics of violin, which she used to play very well. And... Um, my father was most enthusiastic if he saw a kid that kid had to be learning something or the other so it regardless of whether it was his kid or some neighbor's kid but we all had to be learning starting with that carnatic music background uh when i was nine i insisted that i wanted to learn carnatic music and not hindustani music which my parents were now deeply interested in so was my father and um, I said, no, I want to learn only Carnatic music. So we got a very good Carnatic music teacher. And until I was 10, so about a year or so, I learned quite seriously learned Carnatic music. And then when I was 10, 10 and a half, um, Narendra Patwardhan, the son of the famous Vinayakra Patwardhan, he happened to get transferred to Delhi. And then uh, I was told now, no more, no more argument on this. You just have to come and learn. And so I was trotted off to um, Narendra Patwardhanji's house, and he was an excellent teacher, excellent teacher, really. And so I got completely, you know, taken in with that that music. And from there onwards, started my very serious and, uh, uh, for music somebody journey.
0: who was so interested in Carnatic Tara to shift to a different uh, kind of music, at least at 10, you wouldn't know genres and all that, but a different kind of music like Hindustani. And you said he was an excellent teacher. So what did he do in your transformation?
1: You know, the thing is that he was extremely methodical, you know, and that was something that I had enjoyed also about the Carnatic genre that they went, you know, from Sardar to Gender verse, etc., and uh, he followed a similar route. You know, he made me do paltas. He made me do. Then he brought in little songs, and I remember I learned to rag Durga right in the beginning, which strangely enough appears much later in some of the music books. It's it's supposed to be a more complex rag, but. Somehow he taught me Durga and he taught me Not only did he teach me that, he taught me how to notate it. You know, he taught me the notation, and I had to write it, learn it. You know, so all that, um, I think mainly it was the structure of his teaching. And that at every stage, there was a challenge, but it kept me deeply immersed in it. Then he would also ask me, you know, he would write a couple of tans. He would write a couple of tans and then he'd ask me to make my own and fit it into the same notation. You know, so that kind of encouragement to create alongside the learning plus In a very, very, uh, you know, methodic and structured manner, I think that is what really got me interested.
0: Yeah, because for me, when I met you, you were already so deep into music, and I remember what you created by creating the Sound of Rain, Okay. I I can never forget that. And all you did was use fingers and made the whole auditorium use fingers and tap on our thighs and create the sound of rain. Now, (laughs) in a hardcore Hindustani class, that's not what somebody teaches you. Do you feel the dramatics part of your life in school and the art part of life with music at home? combined to make you the bundle of joy that you are today as a teacher?
1: Uh, Certainly, I think all these influences were uh, predominant in my life and uh, did did end up with um, bringing in this theatrical angle to music, you know, because after all, a raga conveys emotions. If you want to convey emotions using a raga, there is a certain amount of um, theatric uh, thinking that needs to go into it, you know? Uh, While you can do, you know, even if you were to look at uh, gamak-tans, you know? So, you know, the moment you bring in this gamak, you imagine the clouds, you imagine thunder, you know? So there's a dramatic element that is there in each of the devices that we use in music. You know, uh, like gamak is one device uh, where, you, where you are ga 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 ga, ga. You know, that, that kind of effect is definitely very applicable to a dramatic situation. You know, it wouldn't go well with, say, tragedy. You'd never be doing that kind of gamak in tragedy. Then you'd be doing a, ah, ma, you know, almost like weeping. You have another device for that. So why do you have these devices inbuilt into music? These kinds of, you know, um, elements which lend themselves to different emotions. If it hadn't been for theatrical um, communication, okay, so I, I think, yes, it it um, music is has a lot to do with theater, you know or or vice versa. you if you want if you look take take any movie, for instance, and remove the soundtrack and you'll say, "Oh god, what a, what is this movie about?" You know, And the soundtrack does so much for the movie, you know, bringing out all the emotions. It's not just the actor standing there and emoting. It's the soundtrack that that brings, even brings the emotion to the
0: actor. That's so so true. The background music plays such an important role during very important scenes. Even if you don't know music, I think that element of the background music plays such an important character role in our thought processes. On, you're very right. Okay, so what happened then? On your schooling was completely uh, done in Delhi, and college also in Delhi. By the by, the time you finished college, you were already an established artist. Ron- <laughs> no, no, no,
1: not really, not really an established artist at all. But. You know, college was also, now I did physics honors in, um, BSc physics honors in Miranda House. And at that time, Miranda House didn't have its own physics department. So we had all our classes in the university, in the main physics department of Dell University. And uh, there, you know, we shared the uh, class spaces and the rooms and all that with other students from other colleges were there as well. So we met a lot of the other people, which was very nice. You know, many of our classmates from Hindu College and Ramjas College and Stevens and all this. And uh, of course, the moment I went there, how was I going to study without there being theater? So in the very first year of college, we we did a play by Malaya. I was greatly into Malaya. So uh, we did the play called The Physician in Spite of Himself, you know, Uh, and um, uh, there were two chaps who were, you know, the the cast in Malaya is mainly with men. Uh, We also, um, that is the problem with a lot of writing, you know, of plays, especially in our time. It was mainly male characters and Miranda House was a completely uh, girls college. So that we did do one play, we did marriage proposal, in which I always played the man because I'm big built, and um, that play not only won the that year's um, play uh, as the best play, I got the best actress though I was an actor, and uh, we were sent to Kanpur with the play, you know, to for the winter festival or something like that. And there it was, you know, I had a very concerned cousin who was studying in IIT then, Kanpur IIT. And he said, I sure you can do this play. He was very concerned uh, because, you know, you are doing a male role and, uh, you know, there might be a lot of booing from the audience and all that. I said, don't worry, we are used to booing and whatnot, okay. So we did have some, you know, airplanes coming onto the stage, etc., uh, right in the beginning. Um, and for about five or six minutes, and then by the 10th minute, we got their attention, you know, and we walked off with the prizes there too. So, you know, theater again became one of the most important, and it was unheard of, unheard of that the Benjis, you know, we were called the Benjis, Uh, because we were doing science, Benji's of Miranda House, they are doing theater. You know, it was only the English department that did theater, you know, for the physics department, Benji's to come up with theater. And there was a very nice um, head of the theater group in, in Miranda House. She was from the english department who was extremely taken up and she gave us a lot of opportunities you know she was very very sweet so uh, that's how we went to Kanpur and that's how even first year second year third year in college though it was a serious physics honors course we did three different plays, three different sets of dances, korobayu Boy Bege from Tagore and God knows what else, we did a whole evening. You know, so again, um, when you're saying established artist, I've never been an established artist. I've just been a dabbler in many things, you know, but I've just totally enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> and you made sure everyone who came in touch with you, Enjoyed your presence and whatever you did with us. So post Delhi, post your graduation, then you moved out of Delhi. How did you end up in Bangalore?
1: So I also did my master's in agricultural physics from the Indian Institute of Agricultural Research, um, which was in Pusa, you know, Pusa Institute, it was called in Delhi. So I finished my two years of master's there. And then I got married and I came to Bangalore, which was a huge change, you know, because uh, there I was used to trips in the, you know, up and down, Janpath shopping and going out with friends and I had infinite number of friends and my mother was so worried that I wouldn't be able to cook. And she'd fix all these, you know, today I will teach you how to make dood beda. I will teach you how to make this, etc. And the moment she'd start on the project, I'd get a phone call I'd say, Amma, I have to go. You know, I mean, they've called me. I, I can't miss this. I just have to go. And I'd come back to taste the dud peda or whatever it was. So I never learned any cooking as well. So suddenly I was in a house where I had to cook. And, uh, you know, we had a small house to begin with. It was a sweet house. And, and then I said, I have to be mobile. So I was cycling all over Bangalore at that time, Malayshwaram and in my sari. And um, then I would, um, I started attending some classes by uh, a lady on the Sandaria Lahari so many years ago, which which we've now taken up as a project again. So I slowly got introduced to many um, uh, people in, in Bangalore of course, we had a number of relatives in Bangalore, which was also very nice. And the most important thing is that I continued learning from Pandit Naik, the, you know, Agra Gharana. So it was a complete change of Gharana because after my first few, four years with Narendra Patwardhan, I learned from Meera Khirwarkar, who was from the, mainly her style was like the Kirana Gharana. So, you know, you take the vilambit very slow. The first slow piece is extremely slow in the kirana gharana. Suddenly, when I shifted after marriage, when I started learning from Ramrao Naikji, it was much faster. You know, the pace was much faster of, of the vilambit. But he was very sweet. He said, you don't change anything. Do everything the way you like it, you know. Uh, i just i all i do is when i teach he would say i pray to the almighty that you get the vidya you know and he was he was amazing he would come on his cycle he was in his late 60s oh, was, yeah he was yeah late 60s then and he would come cycling all the way from basavanagudi to malleshwaram and nirdjal Lekadashi. he had learned from fayaz khan you know, so uh, that's another big story. But anyway, he would come and he would teach me. And uh, my soon, my son was born, and um, I had this lovely, lovely um, aunt who was my neighbor, and she would take my baby away for an hour so I could do my music class. So you know, slowly everything got reinstated. Shall I say. <laughs> and uh, then by the time uh, my daughter was born um, which was quite a few years after I got married actually I'd had quite a big long break in career so to say I started teaching you know uh, so I would drop her at a play school and I started teaching very part time initially I started teaching music then they discovered my physics degree yeah. and then I started teaching physics in Malaya Aditi what is now Mallia Aditi International School it was called Aditi then yeah. so I would go on my cycle, drop Kanika uh, off at the play school, then uh, leave my cycle there, take a bus, go to the school, come back, pick her up, (laughs) go back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you must have been a very popular physics singing teacher. (laughs) <laughs> if I can call you that. <laughs> but uh, when you say you were a physics teacher, sing, was singing a subject? Because when I was in school, singing was a subject uh, that all of us compulsorily had to be part of. So at that time, was singing a subject that the students had to think? Or was it an yes, option? Yes, yes.
1: Uh, you know, very, very, um, shall I say, with great foresight. Uh, Mrs. Warrior, who was the founder of our school, she said, we have to have Indian music as a separate subject, you know. So they didn't define it as Hindustani or Carnatic. It was just called Indian music because there were quite a few foreign kids too in the school. It was an international school. And that encouraged me to get a huge repertoire of um, rhymes in uh, various Indian languages so from chinna chinna chitta chingara chitta in uh, in tamil to um um grihobashi you know in bengali i taught them a whole lot of songs you know uh, and for every song of course there was a lot of theater involved lots of actions in theater and then we did little um shows with with the theatrical element again, and bringing in all these songs and, and the kids loved it. So that was the music and then when it was physics, uh, and we were just starting the physics lab in the school. Um, we were, you know, the, the interesting thing is that the biology teacher was a Arundhati Raja, Jagdish Raja and Arundhati Raja are so well known in Bangalore. So, Arundhati was the biology teacher. I was the physics teacher. So the biology lab had a whole lot of masks and makeup material and God knows what else. And the physics lab was full of the harmonium, the tanpura, the tabla, and all the music (laughs) instruments. So you can imagine when I taught sound, uh, that was the most interesting thing Uh, where we brought in... Uh, how how does the tabla sound? How is it produced? How does the tanpura? How is the tanpura? Uh, Helmholtz resonator and such such like, you know. So um, that was very interesting. I, I often did lots of lessons combining physics and music. You know, one of my favorites being um, how how to show mutual induction uh, of of magnetism. So you have two pieces of iron and uh, you know, when you move one piece of iron, you induce a field in the other piece of iron. And uh, when, you know, as long as there's movement, so when this field is growing outward, this this one gets induced. And so they kind of inducing into each other, but the moment the movement stops, the induction stops, right? So I used to um, get students to illustrate this with, standing up and dancing and, you know, they would, they would, there would be music created and they would dance. And at that time, this would start growing. And at the moment they got to the maximum, this would also collapse. Okay, so, and then, you know, this would start moving and then this would grow. So that kind of thing, uh, you know, so we did a lot of music, musical theater, shall I say? In in the physics lessons, <laughs> yeah, we had good fun. I mean, even yeah, So uh, we... a singing physics teacher,
0: a dramatic biology teacher, and music in physics. Oh my god, the kids <laughs> must have had a ball.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, we we were, we just we just had so much fun, yeah. and amongst I us teachers they're... as well, we did lots of. Uh, mad little skits and whatnot for the kids and you know we had a lovely time right through the time that you know Aditi the school grew we did the maddest things ever you know so once I remember um, one of the teachers in kindergarten came and asked me can you show the children how you can focus the rays of the sun to start a fire so, uh, you know, the two of us, there were two of us physics teachers, one madder than the other. The other one was Jyoti Tyagarajan. And we devised this whole play where Mrs. Warrior, our principal was going to be the cat, you know, uh, the witch's cat. And dressed three of us, Arundhati Raja, Jyoti Tyagarajan and I were the witches. And we came with these tall witch hats and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, we brought this lens, and and the, we put, we had a whole lot of um, jharuke sticks, you know, uh, attached to the tail of the cat, and poured kerosene on it just to be sure, and then we focused the sun's rays with a powerful lens onto that. And it set ablaze, you know. It was, and just as we were going to do it, we went, you know, we went to Mrs. Warrior and said, now are you giving us a raise? Otherwise, we will not douse your tail. <laughs> we had so much fun. And then finally, there was another teacher, Janet Lord, also a very, very good actress herself. She was standing with a solar topi and a bucket of water saying, Safety first. And um then, as soon as the you know fire, the tail caught fire, well, she doused it. So right after, and we drawn she'd drawn beautiful whiskers on Mrs. Warrior's face, etc. And soon after that, Mrs. Warrior had to meet some parents who were coming to admit their kid to the school. So she then she ran off. It was time for her, and the kids were thrilled. The kids were all wide-eyed, you know, when we did this. Except that one of the kids came to me and said at the end of it, um, "But this is skinny. Where, where? Why didn't you wear your bindi? You want them to learn about lenses, and they're worried about your bindi. Anyway, that's fine." And then Mrs. Warrior went to meet these parents, and she changed very fast and gone. And she said, right through the interview, the parents kept kind of looking at her a bit strangely, you know. I mean, they, they spoke very well and, you know, they, they liked the school and everything. But she said they kept looking at me very strangely. And later, after the interview, she went and saw, looked in the mirror and she hadn't taken off her whiskers.
0: They found, moved. like, exclusive teachers then. <laughs> you definitely were <laughs> <met> a bunch.
1: <laughs> I had great fun through my uh, teaching career. Then I also did two years of administration at the end, you know, before I left Aditi. And that was another kind of experience. Yeah, that was a totally different experience. And then I decided to move to being a private practitioner of, you know, independent consultant. In, in, because by then I had done my master's in uh, education from Oxford Brookes University. So I was very interested in teacher training. So I decided to set off on my own.
0: And... Okay. and then Before we move into teacher training, any feedback from any of the students about their time in school, uh, especially the way you uh, mixed music and science? Uh, Anything that you remember, any feedback a student has given you, uh, Tara? uh,
1: Well, uh, the interesting thing is that, um, you know, students to this day keep coming back, you know, with with, uh, recollections. I remember once um, there was, um, there were two kids, uh, Mukund and uh, Arvind, Arvind Yagrajan and Mukund, uh, Titi Mukund, uh, you know, who are all... Doing extremely well in whatever they're doing, they they spent an entire two and a half hours singing all that I had taught them. You know, right from Chappa mm-hmm. agar to all the Dhano, Dhane, Pushpe Bhara. They sang all the songs for two and a half hours. And this was, you know, when they were in college, way in college, long, long after they left school. So that was for me a fantastic validation of the fact that all this music and because of the music, so many other things, other uh, parts of our culture, you know, stayed with, with these kids. There, were, there was one kid who said my only connection with Indian mythology, you know, Hindu mythology, Indian mythology was through the songs you taught us. You know, so um, it music, therefore, was not just the seven notes and singing um, improvisations, singing folk songs, all that, yes. But it, it also becomes a doorway to an entire culture, you know. And because we did regional songs, you know, uh, from uh, uh, Bengal, from Orissa, um, from... Um, uh, uh, andhra pradesh everything already when i was teaching in the school most of the children came from parents who were speaking different languages you know and and then the only language that was common was english and they learned they spoke only english you know they were already losing the ability to speak both the languages that their parents were from, you know, were, were, uh, that was the mother tongue of both parents. Therefore, this actually provided entry into each parent's language. And she'd say, my grandmother knows this song. You know, the kids would say that. And recently, when you're asking about validation from students, we had, we did um, Entire and entire show, Judy, Bidapa and I, we directed a show for the alumni of Aditi, you know. And uh, every time one of these alumni walked in holding a kid, we'd wonder who this dad was. And then we'd look at the kid and say, oh, now that is so-and-so. Because we only remember the dad at the age of the kid, right? And he had changed so much. And they all came and they just loved working with the songs we we did, uh, because this was in honor of Mrs. Warrior's 90th birth anniversary, and she loved poetry and she particularly liked nonsense poetry. So it was called An Evening of Glorious Nonsense. And uh, we did Louise Carroll and Edward Lear and quite a few of those poets and, and poetry from there. And we had a, a choir that did the singing. And so many of them were in the, in the school choir or were in school, you know, and I had learned from me as kids. So it was lovely. And they said the best thing about the whole experience was being treated like 10 year olds again, you know. That, that bond that we've, we had with some of the kids and the fact that they, that they, they came back, they loved it. We've done another one with um, science fiction. And um, that was many years ago, Arundhati Raja and I had done that together, a whole lot of stories of science fiction and with music. And, and, and again, the science fiction were, were stories that I used to teach science concepts. And they remembered that and they came back with it. So all this is fantastic validation you know, for a teacher. Every time a student comes back, and you see that the certain things that you had talked about, done with the children when they were very young, has still lived with them and grown with them. It's, it's, it's very, it's, I think that's the most rewarding thing about being a teacher.
0: Yes. And then from moving from students to teachers themselves, how was your transition and how was Sunad born? Because that's, again, something that's so associated with you. Everyone who knows Tara knows Sunnah. So uh, can you tell me your transition to be a teacher educator and then the birth of Sunnah?
1: So I think those two things actually happened simultaneously. You know, so 2008, when I set out to do teacher development as an independent consultant, and at the same time, you know, we had actually when just before that, just before that, two thousand eight, when we had um, when I was still administrator, uh, just before I left in in the school, we had a function. We decided to do because there were uh, I was still teaching even as an administrator. I was still teaching music, and I was teaching music at the elective level, that is ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. They could take music as elective, and. in that one year, I had some eight students doing electives in music, which was quite rare, you know, I mean, not so many come together to learn music. And um, two other students who were not elective students would also join, because they were so interested. Okay, so we had this group of about two, no, four of them. Anyway, we had about 10 or 12 students. Who were deeply interested. So we decided to do a decide. I said, why not have a program with these kids? And I always did a program with the kids because you know it's a performing art and they have to perform if you want to know where they stand, if they want to know where they stand. We decided to do this show. And one of the kids came up with the idea. We we said we'll combine storytelling with music. That's how the whole concept of Sunad also started. So one of the kids said, Let's take the life of Krishna and base the uh, stories on the life of Krishna because there are so many interesting stories that came from one of the students. And uh, so we did something called Bhava Yatra. You know, that is a journey through different emotions. So starting with Krishna as a child, which was Vatsalya Bhava, then Krishna as a friend of the, you know, gopis and gopas, uh, Cowherds, so we that was um, uh, Sakya Bhava. Then, as the lover of all the Gopis trees and Radha, it was the Madhurya Bhava. And then um, we had uh, so three of those Bhavas, and then we had one more, uh, which 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 I can't remember right now. But anyway, we wove these Bhavas together, and. We based it on one shloka from the Bhagavad Gita, which says, however, a devotee sees me, I respond in the same way. And um, so all these bhavas and God or Krishna appearing in these bhavas were the uh, was the crux of the, of the stories. And for every story, we had songs accompanying it. That narrated and they were all in Hindustani classical music. And at that time, because I had started, uh, I was in administration, Aditi Upadhyay, who's also a famous singer, had um, joined, to, joined to teach music. So between the two of us, we did this entire bhavayatra. the two teachers as well as, and we opened it up to alumni, as well as the existing students, as well as faculty, as well as parents. And there were 42 of us who did this entire show, 42 that did this entire um, Bhavayatra show uh, in um, in that beautiful theater in Koramangala. Um, and then after that show, people, you know, I we got involved offer from Srishti, which had just started then, Srishti School of Art Design and Technology to do the similar thing, but making it um, changing the theme. So we, uh, you know, by then Shabnam Virmani, who is a very well-known filmmaker, she had, she was in Srishti and she had, she and I had started working on the Kabir project. I had left Aditi by then. And uh, on one long train journey, we discussed this whole thing about ragas. How did a raga develop? Okay, so the story of the raga, rag katha, was the next show that we, entire script Shabnam wrote out with input from me during that one train journey. And then we did rag katha, which you know, finally, we did about 20, 25 shows each of Bhavyatra, 20, 25 shows of ragkatha because then we said, we are not confining it to any institution like Aditi or uh, Srishti alone. Anybody who is interested can join. So we did have that core group of uh, people, uh, some of whom like Nandini Kamath was a Aditi parent, is still there with us, some of those people who started, and that's how Sunad was also born. And then we moved on from uh, such productions. At one point, Aditi got very much more involved in her profession as a musician. And this took a lot of time, so she she stepped out. By which time, you know, 2006, I got involved in learning Dhrupad. And then, you know, Ramakant Gundecha Ji joined us and the Gundecha brothers, both of them joined us and they, composed the music for several Upanishads that we did, right, Kathopanishad and uh, Vasi Upanishad that we combined with the verses from Rumi, Jalaluddin Rumi, so it was called Isha Rumi, Beyond Form, and then we did uh, um, Mandukya Upanishad, which we combined with the saints, poetry of the saints, so it was Mandukya Santvani. And most recently, we did the Keno Panishad. So, you know, it it has been a wonderful journey there too, where we have stuck to pure classical music, moving from khayal, which was what we used to use when uh, Aditi and I started Sunad, to now Dhrupad, you know, which I feel actually works very well for a group because it's so structured again. and. you know, we've done now 102 shows in all over 20 years of being in existence.
0: And the production is something for each of your presentations that people talk about. The production quality, the detailing. So all of this comes from the years that you've been doing drama and music together. Where where does this need for perfection in production come so, uh,
1: you know, the whole theater thing, actually, um, combining music with theater and the attention to detail, I owe a lot of it to Arundhati Raja and Jagdish Raja, you know, because I did so many productions with them for children. You know, we did the insect play, we did, we did several plays together. We did Midsummer Night's Dream with Indian music, We did the entire um, with a cast of 50 people. We did um, George Orwell's Animal Farm in music. So, you know, uh, I I, I did so many productions with them. And, you know, Arundhati Raja and Jagdish Raja, while they were very professional in what they did, they were not, in a sense, professional theatre people in the sense that their livelihood didn't depend on theatre. Yeah, so for me, that was a great model for Sunad, that we do things as professionally as we can, but all of us are not professional musicians. You know, uh, we are all professional something else. I'm a professional teacher, teacher educator. Uh, There there are doctors in our group, there are uh, lawyers, there are homemakers, there are uh, students. You know, there are, there are people who come from all walks of life and from different um, states of India also. And, uh, you know, we, we just bond through music and theater. You know, theater becomes a very important part of each of our productions as well. And we had the fortune for Mandukya santvani to have a person like Sunil Shanbagh agreeing to come and do the theater direction for us. He was fantastic. And just, you know, if you watch theater people, every time we've had fantastic theater people, you know, so we had Raj, uh, first we had Arundhati Raja and Jagdish Raja, who who directed some of our Kathopanishad. In fact, uh, Jagdish Raja was our first yama in Kathopanishad. And then, when he couldn't travel with us, etc., after some time, um, Ravi Narayanan came in as as the as Yama, and uh, Ravi Naranan did over forty shows with us. You know, and he again was deeply into theatre, along with Arundhiti and Jagdish Raja. He had done so many um, uh, productions with them in in theater, so many, over so many years. So, you know, uh, we had, and those, first we had them directing, Arundhati Raja and Jagdish Raja. Then there was Rajeshri Dutt, who directed several shows, there were several productions for us. She was also part of Arundhati Raja's uh, setup very many times, and then she, directed several several shows for us. And then we had, you know, Sunil Shanbagh, as I said, and, and just watching each director, their different styles of direction and what they did with our music primarily, because for us, music was the most important ingredient. Theater was alongside, you know, but music was the most important. So uh, keeping that in mind, bringing in the dance we brought in a lot of dance as well yeah so we had dance we had theater, we had all that um it 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 was it's been great fun we've had movement uh, great movement um, direction also most recently in kenopanishad that was from uh, uh, priyadarshini ghosh shom uh, and shridhar Hegre with yakshagana you know so in in the kenopanishad there is a story in which a yaksha appears. And that led us to think, oh dear, we should, we should think of yakshagana this time. And so, you know, Sridhar Hegre, who was again, one of my students when I taught music in the Natya Institute of uh, Kathak and choreography, he was one of my students. When I asked him, he said, yes, Didi, I'll come immediately. And he came and he spent so many days with us and he choreographed the whole thing and he trained people here to do it. He himself did the role of the yaksha. When he couldn't, after some time, then there was another dancer from his group who came and did it. So we've also taken the help of professional people to come in. You know, that really leverages our quality. You know, whenever we have professional, so professional accompanists, professional uh, players, yeah, that has really, really, you know, made a difference.
0: Wow, this is so nice because it seems that Providence has placed all the right people in the right places that when you seek a need and the person who can provide the need appears to make sure that the production goes as per quality. Wow. Tara. Tara, now coming back to the teacher educator journey of yours. Uh, So have there been any memorable moments and what have they been?
1: Well, I've had some very, very good experiences as a teacher educator. Uh, One of the first places I joined was Riverside School in Ahmedabad, which is an exceptional school with Kiran Sethi there doing all the right things, you know, all that I read about was being actually enacted by her team and herself in in, in Riverside. And that uh, was for me a place of great learning as well. We actually had worked out, when I set out to to do this um, teacher training, Gita Narayanan and I set up the Center for Education, Research, Training and Development in Srishti. And there we had worked out an entire course you know, uh, for teacher training, uh, where we did workshops. And I did some of that in Riverside and further improved upon it. So that was great. And then when I joined Shankar Mahadevan Academy uh, to start doing teacher training for the teachers in the academy, and this was for teaching music, we refined the we reconstructed that course you know with the workshops and everything to suit teachers of music so that again was a great great um shall i say adaptation innovation which worked very well and to this day i find that you know uh, that course is being taught done for new teachers in shankar mahadevan academy Uh, as an introductory course orientation teacher orientation they call it and Deepa Sridhar actually runs that course and she's taken it over and done a fantastic job of fine-tuning it for online teaching of music you know so um, it's lovely to see the kind of transformations this whole course has taken and um See, I can't go so often to Riverside now because it's, it's too much to travel to Ahmedabad, stay there and all that. Um, all my other uh, work with teachers has, has become much less now because I, I don't feel like doing, exerting myself so much physically, though I do uh, you know, give advice on an advisory capacity. I'm there in other places. Uh, But with Shankar Mahadevan Academy, because it is online and because we uh, can still do quite a few things online, I'm still on their advisory team and I meet almost every week. I meet the curriculum coordinators and we have a good discussion about new things that we want to introduce into the curriculum. So it's not just teacher development, but also curriculum uh, development that I've been doing and it's, it's great fun. It's great fun.
0: Uh, No wonder you hold a very special place at the Shankar Madhavan Academy. I have seen it, so I know it.
1: (laughs) I know that's where we got introduced. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh,
0: When it came to the pandemic, which happened uh, three years ago, everything went inward and all of us also went inward. Each one of us took away our own lessons. So what was the reflections from the pandemic for you?
1: one of the biggest things that happened to us was that our music went online. You know, so um, all that we have, we never missed a single Saturday when we were as a group, Sunad group, meeting personally every Saturday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. we meet. Now, since that was not possible and everybody was trapped in their homes, we started doing these, sessions online and we now find that it is a fantastic solution to do this alternately with bangalore traffic the way it is you know and all of us not growing any younger so uh, that was one of the big breakthroughs for us during the pandemic that we could move sunad to online even even rehearsals we do online Rehearsal, especially, you know, uh, we are a big group at any given time, we are about 30 of us on the stage. So if there are 30 of us on stage, it is not always possible to listen to each person separately. So what we've done is we've broken it up into smaller groups and the smaller groups meet online. And each one has somebody who can guide guide the others through uh, the musical pieces. Because sometimes, you know, we've always done these Upanishads, etc., with a number of different ragas. So switching ragas is not easy, not at all easy. And therefore, this individual training and practice has become very, very manageable with um, online meetings and that has been the boon of the pandemic. Okay. Um, As far as going inwards that you are talking about, you know, our journey started much before the pandemic with all the Upanishads and the main inspiration for the Upanishads coming from my guru, uh, Sri M, you know, we, we started this journey of, on, of the Upanishads way back in 2010. So nearly 13 years now, we've been doing one Upanishad after the other. And that is an immense inward journey because for every production, we take minimum two years of research and study between all of us. And then the composition of the music, et cetera, and learning it before we actually launch a production. So, two years of um, deep study, you know, that is a huge inward going thing already. So, it it helped us all a lot, even during the pandemic, when, you know, there were so many crisis points in each one's lives.
0: What are some of those unforgettable special moments of this journey? Because like you said, the Upanishads by itself are very special. So, doing the research, understanding the Upanishads and then putting it out in different ragas, that itself must have been magical. And through the journey of a teacher educator or through Sunad, when you look back, what have been the high points of that part of your journey? I think the
1: high points are always when um, you feel that somebody starts an inward journey, you know, because of uh, the influence of either the music, or maybe the pure science, or maybe the theater, or, you know, for whatever reason, when people start their own inward journey, when they come in contact with any of these uh, beautiful arts, and an inward journey starts, I think it is a high point each time like recently let me look at a very recent happening when all of us got very hooked into reading uh, the Dalai lama's cat and that entire series of books you know and we were discussing it and we were all on the same page many of us friends you know and and so many things that come as buddhist teachings you realize are also the same as what we have discovered in our Upanishad journey, you know, it's not different. They're all similar. And it's just different ways of expressing the same truth. And when each one has this realization, you know, each friend, each person on the journey, that becomes a high point. Whether it is a student, whether it is another teacher, whether it is a colleague, it is a friend, you know, when... Whenever, in whichever way the inward journey starts or progresses, or uh, another person shares with you some moments of the inward journey, then I think those are the high points, or I am able to share my um, moments with some other person who is on the same path,
0: those are the memorable moments. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we are now at the end of the conversation, Tara. So three life lessons that you'd like to leave us.
1: Through. Okay. Um, I think the I'll start with the biggest life lesson I have, which I think would subsume the other two, if I can think of them. The biggest life lesson is that, and I don't want to sound fatalistic here. It is that nothing, nothing is in our hands. Absolutely nothing. Things happen as they're supposed to. And um, I don't mean that you don't put in the effort. You know, I, I, I work very hard at whatever I decide to take up. Okay. I, I spend hours, I get immersed, I, I do it. But that also will not happen unless it has to. You know, I'm very aware of that. There are times when you feel, oh, I just have to do this. I want to do this. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't always happen, you know. So uh, you can have the desire to do something. You can put in the effort, but what happens is what happens, you know, and you don't have control. You don't have any control over it. I, I know many people disagree and they say, come on, what about self? What about your own will? I don't agree. You have your own will. Well, you have your will to say, am I going to use the knife to cut my finger or am I going to use it to cut the apple? You know, you have that. You can perhaps make that kind of decision. But while you're cutting the apple, if it cuts your uh, finger, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's something that can happen, right? So um, I don't know. I think one of my biggest life lessons is just let life happen. What we can do is how we respond to what life does. You know, that that maybe is something one can work towards. You know, can I accept what happens in life without letting it, you know, uh, get me down? Or Because, you know, all of us face life's ups and downs. And can I be not sailing too much when it, there's an up and keep letting, headed when there's a down so you know that that's that's my biggest life lesson because I think the only thing that is certain about life is that it is uncertain so that is my biggest life lesson another one is that you know if if I point my finger at somebody I have to realize that three fingers are pointing towards me I can't place the blame for anything on anybody else. You know, I have to look at myself. Another big life lesson for me is that things happen in this world, how I view it, how I interpret it is my truth. How you interpret a similar fact that is happening in front of us is your truth. And therefore, each there is a level of relative truth You know, when we look at the world outside. So there is this very beautiful story about uh, this chap who sets out in his beautiful boat and he's just painted it and it's it's gleaming and it's bright and he takes it out into the uh, river and then he sees another boat approaching in the fog. And he says, my God, it's coming straight for my boat. Can't he see that stupid fellow? What is he thinking about? It's going to hit my boat. There's no time to move. And then it comes and bangs his uh, boat and he is wild until he realizes that there's nobody in that boat. Okay, now who is he going to vent his anger? (laughs) You know, there's nobody in that boat. So, And this entire build-up of what does he think he's doing? Why is he driving for my boat? Why is he coming straight at me? All that was useless energy. That's another big life lesson for me, that anything goes wrong, no point blaming anybody else. Just look at my own self. Yeah, those are two big life lessons for me. And the third life lesson is that you know, there's no time for negativity. Um, it doesn't help. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help anybody else. So, if, if something happens which upsets me, my way of getting over it is: I'll call up a good friend, tell her about it, get her off my chest, and that's finished. And then we have a good laugh about something else, and that's it. That's finished, and I move on. So. No time for negative thoughts. You know, and the, if there are any things that are negative, get rid of them as soon as possible and get on with life. So, yeah, those are my three lessons. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm not surprised about the third one with positivity at all, because that's what you exude all the time. The first one reminded me of the Bhagavad Gita a phrase in the Bhagavad Gita, Nimitta Matram Bavasabia It's just merely be my instrument and uh, from there I pick my uh, belief in surrender because I feel that's the best way to be when you know you cannot control many a thing that happens around you. Tara, God bless you for being the amazing teacher that you are, the positive vibes you carry whenever you talk or in whichever room you physically are in. And the amazing way in which you enjoy every moment of what you do, be it singing, be it theater and the combination of the two and just living life with joy. So thank you so much. Honored to have had you on You and I with Rashmi Shetty. God bless you and continue spreading your magic, Tara.
1: Thank you so much, Rashmi. It it was a really lovely time with you. And from your whole sentence about surrender, I now know the secret of your smile. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for a lovely hour.
0: With that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to Eye at gmail.com That is R-A-S-H-M-I dot T-H-E-T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E at gmail.com Come, let's explore this amazing world together, both you and I.